Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. Today, we are going to talk about cooking interviews. What do those look like? How did I used to conduct interviews uh, when people had to cook? And what you need to do to prepare if you're going into a cooking interview and some things to think about. So before we get started, I think it's important to understand that there is no universal cooking interview in kitchens. Every chef has their own preferences. Everyone does it slightly different. What I wanna talk about is just some general practices that you can incorporate when you're in a cooking interview and also share with you how I used to conduct cooking interviews when I was a chef and things that I would look out for. You know, for many years, the general practice in a lot of restaurants was, can you prepare a French omelet properly? That was it. Like you go in and you make a French omelet. If it's good, you got the job. If you don't, you know, pack your knives and go home. And the reason that was is because there's a lot of skill that goes into making the classic French omelet. I mean, you got to you gotta make sure that the curds are soft in the center. It has to be rolled properly. Uh, in a French omelet, there's no coloring. Um, so understanding how to control the temperature on a range, understanding, uh, you know, the, the technique of keeping the pan hot and cold and moving it on and off the fire, uh, understanding how to maintain soft curds, all of that would demonstrate a high level of skill for a cook. So if you can deliver a properly cooked French omelet, chefs would traditionally think, okay, if you could do that, you're going to understand cooking at a, probably a higher level because you've mastered so many other things that are required to deliver a perfectly cooked French omelet. I did a career fair and the cooking test that I gave to all cooks when they were coming in was I wanted to see them dice an onion and I wanted to see them make an omelet. I didn't tell them how I wanted the onion diced. I said, just dice it as you would. And um, if you could make a French omelet, great. But in the United States, a lot of people really don't know how to make French omelet. So I'd get the classic American style omelet in most cases where, you know, the curds are a little bit bigger. Uh, the bottom is browned typically and it's folded in half versus rolled. And the reason I wanted to see who can dice an onion and who could uh, make an omelet was because you quickly got to see who was going to stand out. If you knew how to make a French omelet and you had a perfect dice or perfect brunoise, you know that most likely this person came uh, from a kitchen where they mastered a very high skill set. If it was a very rough onion cut, 
uh, you know, maybe they didn't set up their cutting board properly. They forgot to put something in it so it doesn't slide. You know, they're trembling when they're using a knife. They're nervous. Uh, maybe their omelets burned or they attempted a French omelet, but it was a disaster. You could tell a lot by those two things. So you'll understand if someone knows how to work in a kitchen just simply by watching them do those those two things. So I, I would say if if you don't have a cooking test in place and you're just looking for cooks, this is a good place to start. Just have them dice an onion and have them make an omelet. Don't give them much more direction than that. And you'll see how they move. You'll, you'll see what they think a good dice is. Are they for speed or are they for quality or are they for both? Can they dice an onion quickly and deliver it in good quality? So all these things matter when you're looking at that. And it's important as the chef that's doing the hiring that you recognize the skill set in these people and you see, do they work clean? Do they, do they scrape the board with their knife? Do they use a bench scraper? Do they use a, a pass card? Do they have onion all over the floor? Did they burn their omelet? All of this matters. And you'll be able to know how that person is going to work in your kitchen simply by watching those two things. And if you don't know, um, you know, maybe you need to train your eye a little bit more, but I could tell you, usually when I do cooking interviews with people, I could tell within a few minutes if they're going to get the job or not just by how they move. When you've seen it long enough, um, you recognize another ninja, you know what I mean? Like the, just how they move in a kitchen, how efficient they are in their setup, the language that they use. Do they scream behind when they're behind another cook? Uh, or do they just bump into each other, you know, wandering around aimlessly? These are all the things that you're looking for when someone's in your kitchen performing a cooking interview. Now, in my opinion, I think for a cook level, I don't really think you'd need to do much other than maybe an onion, maybe an omelet, but not much more than that. Now, if it's a specific position, like maybe you're talking about someone that's that's going to be a grill cook, then maybe you want them to cook a steak. If they are going to work on a very specific station, like let's say pasta, do they know how to roll pasta? So the cooking test might be a little bit more complicated, but for an entry-level cook position, I don't believe it should be much more complicated than that. Now, when we're talking about sous chef and up, a lot of places will throw very strange tests at you. Some of them will be very complicated. Some of them will be very easy. I've seen some people say, you know, give me a nine course tasting menu and don't replicate an ingredient. Some people will outline specifically what they want you to see. Some people will say, do this, that, and the other. And then they throw in the dessert, which if people don't know, like throwing in the dessert is a big curveball for chefs because a lot of chefs don't know how to make dessert. So when you're throwing in a dessert and you're judging someone off you know, four or five amazing savory dishes, but they bomb on the dessert. It's, it's tough on them, right? Um, I wouldn't use that as a deterrent to hire someone unless they are specifically going to oversee the dessert program in your restaurant. So every place does it slightly different. And, and it can be frustrating because sometimes it could take up a whole day. You know, I, I know places that you might be there for two days, one day prep and the next day that you're executing your, your tasting interview um, and you've given up two days of your life only to find out that you're not going to get a phone call for three weeks and, and them tell you if you got the job or not, and you're sitting there waiting uh, while they go through the other candidates. So I'm not a big believer in the extremely lengthy cooking interview. You know, if you can't get it done within a few hours, it might be too long. I think it's, in my opinion, it might be slightly disrespectful to the candidate if it's an extremely long cooking interview. Um, but again, to each their own. Everyone, everyone is different. Some people might make you stage, right? So 
your cooking interview might be, we're throwing you on the line and we want to see how you perform. So there is no universal best practice when it comes to cooking interviews. But one thing that is very common when it comes to cooking interviews is what they call the mystery basket. And that is a number of items, you know, that you're going to have to cook with that you have no idea what you're getting, which might consist of different proteins, different vegetables and fruits. They might throw a couple of curveballs in there, but they're basically giving you a blank slate and they say, okay, based off this mystery ingredient basket that we've given you, what can you create? Now that's an extremely difficult thing to do for a chef because it's hard to prepare for the mystery basket. And if they're telling you to do whatever you want, your end product might not be what they're looking for, but they haven't really given you specific parameters of what they're looking for. So those are very difficult, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about how you can take the mystery out of the mystery basket, as they say. And this is something that I learned um, from culinary competition. So why culinary competitions? In culinary competitions, the mystery basket competition is very common. You get, uh, as we said, you get the mystery ingredients and you need to prepare X amount of courses. Well, you never know what you're going to get. So they're very difficult to prepare for as a competitor. So what they do is they remove the mystery from it. So that is, you have X amount of dishes ready to go, depending on what you get. So if you get duck or pheasant or chicken or turkey, you know you're going to get some sort of poultry. These are the dishes that you're going to prepare. If you get beef or a pork chop, you know, okay, these are my, my proteins that I will probably get. So what dishes can I build around that? If it's a veg-centric dish, you, you already have dishes in mind that you would create off the staple ingredients that most likely you're going to be provided. And you'll have an idea of techniques that you want to showcase. So um, maybe you want to make a, a roulade. Well, if they give you a piece of salmon or if they give you a, a piece of chicken, you know you're going to do a roulade with either one of those proteins from which you are given. So having a plan when you go in saying, regardless of what they give me, I'm still going to execute my plan will leave you in a much better situation than if you go in unprepared without a plan. So that's a good way to think about removing the mystery from the mystery basket is go in with a plan of what you're going to do regardless um, of what's in that basket. And if they haven't given you parameters on what they want to see, I think in general, it's a good practice. If I was going to a restaurant and they didn't tell me, they just gave me a mystery basket. You know, obviously I would study up on the place that I'm cooking for. I would see what kind of food they do. I'd really want to understand the direction that their food is going. And I would try and replicate food based on that style and say, you know, if I was the chef here, this is the type of food I see this restaurant doing based on what you gave me. But for example, if you're an Italian restaurant and they give you a mystery basket, you don't want to prepare a bunch of French food and vice versa. You want to stay on concept and on brand because you want to showcase that you know how to do the type of cuisine that you're being interviewed for. Which leads me to how I would give um, cooking interviews to anyone that was sous chef and up. And I've been doing this interview since 2005 to think about it. Um, you know, that's when I got my first executive chef job was in 2005. And the way I learned how to do this interview practical was based off the standards in the American Culinary Federation for the certified executive chef exam. And it, it may have changed and I haven't, I haven't uh, checked on it to see if it's any different now, but typically they would give you a whole fish. Um, they would give you a live lobster, an artichoke, 
and a whole chicken and you had to prepare dishes based off of that. And I really liked that format because if it was what a certified executive chef needed to prepare, then I thought to myself, well, if you're applying for a sous chef or up, you should have these technical skills. And so I would give a cook or a chef coming in, I should say, I'd give them a whole salmon, a whole chicken, an artichoke, and a live lobster. And I would say, use anything you want in the kitchen, take as much time, but I want to see you create at least one dish based off that ingredient. So it would be a total of four dishes. I would ask them to prepare two plates of each dish so that we could critique them at the end. We could taste one and then we could keep one at the end for um, a critique afterwards, if you were going to give a critique. Now, when we're going through those dishes, I think it's important to say, okay, why those four? Well, if you've been in the industry for a long time, depending on the type of restaurant you worked at, you may have skipped some skills. So what I mean by that is you may have only worked in a restaurant where the only chicken you've ever seen comes in already butchered. The only fish you ever got already comes in portioned. The only artichokes you've ever seen have come in a can, and the only lobsters you've ever seen have come as frozen tails or uh, knuckle and claw meat in a cryovac bag. So I think it's important if someone's going to be a chef in my kitchen or a kitchen that I'm running, uh, most of the cooks that work for me know how to do these skills. So if you're going to be leading a brigade of people that know how to do this, as the chef, I believe that you should know how to do um, those things as well. What's interesting about those ingredients is that a lot of people say, well, those are, those are very boring vanilla ingredients. And my rebuttal to that is, if you could make a chicken taste good, clearly you could make a duck taste good or a pheasant or you know so on and so forth, any other bird. If you could make salmon taste good, most likely you could make trout taste good or sea bass or so on and so forth. And they provide a blank canvas. That's why I really like these because if you're going to complain that these ingredients aren't luxury enough and you that means that you rely on a crutch, this gives you the opportunity to showcase pure skill and creativity with the most blank canvas you can get in terms of ingredients. The other thing I like about giving these, you know, sort of vanilla ingredients is that you could demonstrate a wide variety of skills. So let's just take that chicken, for example. I, I could take the chicken and I could brine it. I could truss it. I could debone it and make stock out of the bones. I could roast it and I could make a jus. I could make a farce. I could make a roulade and so on and so forth. There's so many options available to me when I'm working with the chicken. But it's unfortunate that a lot of people don't see that. And so what they'll do is they'll just take the, the breast off and then put the rest to the side. Um, and that's when I know, okay, that's about the level that you are. You only know how to work with the breast. Where when I work with higher level chefs, they're able to turn that chicken into so many more things. You know, they go for the thigh because they know it's gonna cook um, slightly more moist than the chicken breast, which tends to dry out. And I'll be able to showcase so many more techniques with the chicken uh, versus if I had just given them a chicken breast. Same thing with the salmon. When I'm watching them butcher the salmon, I know, okay, do they understand the fundamentals of fish butchery? Do they scrape the bones and save some of that uh, flesh for tartare? Or do they make a canopy out of it? Or what do they do with it? Do they work over ice with their fish? You'll really start to understand where people are in skill with the most basic ingredients that you give them. And then the artichoke one is, is really the curveball. It's the one that I've seen break the most amount of chefs. I've seen chefs that I'm giving a cooking interview to and they'll have the artichoke and they'll say, can you show me how you want it done your way? I only know how to do it my way, um, which means that they don't know how to do it. Or I've even seen them hand it off to um, someone else in the kitchen say, hey, I'm really busy. Would you mind cleaning this for me? Uh, knowing full well that they, they don't know how to do it. Now I will say, 
that anyone that's interviewed with me, I let them know in advance, this is what you will be cooking. You will be cooking a chicken, an artichoke, a lobster, and a salmon. So there is no surprise. And you have, if you've never worked with an artichoke, that gives them time to go and figure it out, watch a YouTube video, practice at home, whatever you got to do. But there is no surprise as to what they are cooking. It's amazing how many people don't show up for their cooking interview once they know that they have to cook, um, which in the end, it's like, okay, it was probably the right decision. They weren't going to be on the level that we needed anyway. But this has been the one cooking test that I feel um, has given me best insight into someone's culinary ability. And I tell them, cook whatever you want. I want you to cook like it's an interview and you're trying to impress me. I have um, a lot of experience and I just want to know what you know when it comes to cooking. So there is no parameters. All I'm looking for is do they know how to cook and to what level? And you'd be amazed how much you will learn about someone just with this simple cooking test. I highly recommend it. So now if I had to give you advice, if you're going into a job interview, what would be some important things that you need to consider? Um, first and foremost, make sure you have a plan, make sure you have an idea of what you're going to prepare, have researched the restaurant where you're going and make sure that your food is not very far off from the type of food that they prepare so that they could see that you understand the concept that you're going to. Um, I would say work clean and be efficient, set your station up, let them know that you know how to move in a kitchen, that you understand placement, that your cutting board is there, that you have sanitation solution. Just be as clean as possible. I, I can't emphasize that enough. Everyone is watching you. Um, three, this ties in with everyone watching you, is interact positively with the staff. You're going to be the new boss. They want to know how you work. So make sure that you're polite. Don't be rude to people because I know I used to do this. I used to set traps um, where I would have you know, the staff interact with uh, whoever the candidate was, and they would report back to me what they were like uh, when they thought no one was looking. So that, that's important. Make sure you interact positively with the staff. Number three, time management and timing. So time management, make sure that you understand that if you could make a dish in your kitchen where you've been working and it takes you, let's just say an hour, you got to double that time usually when you're in a foreign kitchen. You know, things aren't where they, uh, where they usually are. Uh, you're in a foreign area. Things might not work. Maybe the stove uh heats up just slightly different. So it's very important that you understand that if you're really efficient at something in your kitchen, you're going to be less efficient in another kitchen. So factor that into your timeline and then manage your time. If, you, if you're running a little bit late, it's important that you communicate, hey, I'm running a little bit late. Um, can I get a little bit more time? I'd rather someone let me know that they're running late and deliver very good food than be late and deliver poorly cooked food that you're not proud of. So remember, it's a job interview. It's not, it's not top chef. You're not, you're not uh, trying to beat the clock or else you can't present your dish. If you need a little extra time, take the little bit of extra time and make sure it's, um, it's prepared properly. Um, next tip is don't try it for the first time on the interview. I've seen a lot of chefs make this mistake. They try something for the first time on the job interview and it goes very poorly because they've never made it before. They don't have practice in it. Make something that you're very comfortable with, even if it's something that you've made a hundred times, just because it's boring to you, um, because you know how to make it, doesn't mean it's boring to the person that you're presenting it to. It might be the first time they've ever seen it. So stick with your greatest hits and things that you know how to do really well. Um, and then the last little bit of advice is just 
bring an extra apron, bring an extra coat or shirt, whatever you're cooking in, um, because likely you're going to get dirty when you're cooking and you're preparing the food. So you're gonna have you know sauce splatters or whatever. Um, so it gives you a quick opportunity to refresh before you're presenting your food. That way you look sharp um, and ready to present food to whoever it is that you're presenting your food to. Well, anyway, chefs, that wraps it up for this week. If you wanna support what we're doing here, you could uh, follow Chef's PSA on Twitter and Instagram. We have the book, Chef's PSA, How to Not Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen. It's available on Amazon and audio um, on Audible and iTunes. So you could support us there. Um, we'll see you on the next episode. I have a little outro song now, so hopefully you like it. Um, and keep it real. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.